bottom. Byron will lead me to the sea. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with a reading from my memoir, Telegraph Avenue, then first published, oh, long ago in 1977. I pull out my notebook, show her my daily scribbles. <laughs> Impression, involutional melancholia, paranoid type. This is your friendly neighborhood nymphomaniac calling nostalgia's my thing. The fossil fragments of extinct dreams. Ezra Pound under an umbrella sharing sandwiches with those more fortunate than he. Things were more fun in the old days. Or I was. The only good poet is a dead poet. I have no intention of dying. I shall become extinct, back to sediment, back to primal slime, through my fossil to the bottom. Byron will lead me to the sea. What I want to know is who got the brass ring. I never knew a poet knew how to live. A poet is a fossil to begin with. Limestone liars. Make me tired, pontificating, pretentious old pricks they are. How unpleasant to meet Mr. Elliot. Not that anyone did. No... I never knew a poet knew how to live. Bob Dylan knew how to die. What's he to Hecuba? Nothing at all. That's why there'll be no wedding this Wednesday week way down in old Bengal. Listen to me, love, listen just a moment. Do not speak ill of the gentleman with the scythe. Just bring a bottle and come at once. Karen laughs. Is that your last word, really, she asks? Nope. This is 
last list. It's all finite folks, the orgasms and the apples, the cars, and candy bars of a lifetime count them. The books and the movies, the operations and adulteries, the triumphs and trips to the seashore. The poet is born, not made. Those of us finite literary ladies, leprechaunesses, loveresses, prophetesses, misfit and mis unsolicited, we're on the shelf. Didn't work out, so we didn't get in the big book. Let us go then, you and I. To sink in sorrow or in gin, we have lingered in the trousers of our times. By coffee house, Lotharios, abandoned and seduced. Till modern poets date us, and we're goosed. June 1975. Simon has returned from a 10-day intensive. His high school was about 80 students goes up river to a study camp from time to time. This uh, intensive dealt with creativity in various disciplines. Simon is stewing about the choice between the Dionysian and Apollonian modes of living. I, he tells me, represent the Dionysian mode. He says, I should consider a transfer to the Apollonian lifestyle. What's in it for me, I ask. Well, he frowns, at least you'd get the mornings. That's true. I haven't seen the dawn in years. July. I, 1975, my kids are taller than I am, both of them. With tall comes overbearing. Sam says, no, he doesn't want spaghetti because it is full of wine, herbs, garlic, onions, and God knows what else. He says, I cook this way because I have no taste buds. He took a course at school, learned that at my age, the taste buds are dead. This, from a kid who puts ketchup on an egg, I say, it's spinach, and I say, the hell with it rings out in my memory as my father's table complaints rise in an avalanche of nostalgia and I think how it is that salt hath lost its savor. Autumn still 1975 a San Francisco morning at the train station the handwritings on the wall 
Stephanie Stewart's A Fat Little Hole on the bench. Stephanie Stewart is going to get hers, signed Pisces. It doesn't change much the world, not the people. Oh, the air is changing, the water and the soil. Through the high windows, I can see the pollution which covers the city. The plague of technology, the price of what men call affluence. The graffiti hasn't changed much since Rome, not since the caves, but the sea and the air are full of poison. Real filth. Oh, we've learned to have more and see less. The stench of the medieval open sewer is gone, but the atmosphere is orange with death. Dead or dying, though, the people never change. Here in this city by the sea, as brightness falls from the air, Stephanie is still a fat little hoe. And Harry is a homosexual. And someone somewhere thinks it's news. Fall now, 1975, at the Learning Temple. Why should I want an M.A. in creative writing. Uh, all my friends have one. I'm at San Francisco State. I have an endless cold and sore throat. I haven't been this sick since I was in college. I am in college. When our instructor enters the room, it feels like someone just left. He tells us, Theodore Frethke wrote his poems in bed. Who doesn't? The class argues about the difference between ambiguity and ambivalence. I go out for a glass of water and slip into a friend's office. We smoke some pot. I return to the classroom and start talking. John Donne, I pontificate, refers more than once to the specular stone as a stone unknown in his own day, which the ancients had employed for building temples with transparent walls. Donne found his information in a book published in 1599, I can't find it, but I believe it. Our instructor is amused. He tries to wind up the discussion. He says, it's a time to wind up and get down to the matter at hand. The matter at hand is which covers the city. The plague of technology, the price of what men call affluence. 
the graffiti hasn't changed much since Rome. Not since the caves, but the sea and the air are full of poisons. Real filth. Oh, we've learned to have more and see less. The stench of the medieval open sewer is gone, but the atmosphere is orange with death. Dead or dying, though, the people never change. Here in this city by the sea, as brightness falls from the air. Stephanie is still a fat little hoe. And Harry is a homosexual. And someone somewhere. Thanks, it's news. Fall now, 1975, at the Learning Temple. Why should I want an M.A. in creative writing? Uh, all my friends have one. I'm at San Francisco State. I have an endless cold and sore throat. I haven't been this sick since I was in college. I am in college. When our instructor enters the room, it feels like someone just left. He tells us. Theodore Rathke wrote his poems in bed. Who doesn't? The class argues about the difference between Ambiguity and ambivalence. I go out for a glass of water and slip into a friend's office. We smoke some pot. I return to the classroom and start talking. John Dunn, I pontificate, refers more than once to the specular stone as a stone unknown in his own day, which the ancients had employed for building temples with transparent walls. Don found his information in a book published in 1599. I can't find it, but I believe it. Our instructor is amused. He tries to wind up the discussion, he says, it's a time to wind up and get down to the matter at hand. The matter at hand is a serious assignment on John Donne and the metaphysical poets. He explains that once I really get into it, I'm sure to enjoy it. I know the ancients could see through stone. Stone or sober, all I see is school. I'll learn, send not to know for whom the bell tolls, find out who tolls it. September 1975, the lunch wagon at San Francisco State. I buy a liverwurst sandwich. Sitting on a bench, I pick a 
camellia and put it in my hat. A young woman sees me do this quickly. She asks if she may sit with me. She asks if I believe in God. She says, I seem to be enjoying my sandwich, and I look as if I might eat it all. Bitch wants my sandwich. She talks about how she and her dog have been in town for three days and how beautiful everything is here in California, but Californians don't appreciate what they've got. The half-eaten liverwurst sandwich sits in my lap. I put it down on the bench and smile my idiot smile, asking the young woman if she really thinks it is true there are no lesbians in Russia. Uh, walking away, I can't help looking back to see her little dog eats the whole thing. The end of September 1975. Noon at the Bay Area Rapid Transit Station. I sit on the bench, look toward the Berkeley Hills. The hills are green. Two pigeons fly down from the sky. They soar through the open roof of the station in a great Arc, curving into the glass windows leading to the green hills. I expect the glass to shatter, but there is only a dull thud. One bird falls, limps, lurches, then drops quietly, head falling softly to one side. The other writhes in a furious flap of wings, her feathers flying, twisting in agony, as if her back were broken. A woman sitting on my right says, Well, how stupid can you get? She says she thought pigeons were smarter than that. In a final desperate lurch, the broken bird falls off the platform across from us, landing on the third rail. A woman sitting on my left, a woman with shellacked hair and eyelashes glued tight, says, well, it was probably a male chasing a female and serves them both right. October 1975, my old friend Julia insists we go to our 20th college reunion. She has a sadistic streak. So-and-so, she says, is dying of cancer. I don't remember so-and-so, and this doesn't seem like the right reason for a class reunion, but I have forgotten how the bourgeoisie live. And I decide to go and take a look. Julia and I went to a girls' college. Private. Arty. Expensive. 
we drive to the Piedmont Hills. I have pinned myself together in my poet's drapery, black shawls, hat, red feathers. Julia is chic and svelte. She's hurt by my uh, feathers. She smokes furiously with a Betty Davis flourish. When she gets all dressed up, she starts acting like a female impersonator. We arrive at the Alpine Circle in Piedmont, the home of Dr. and Mrs. Tong. I cannot remember the name of Mrs. Tong, who was in my graduating class in 1955. So I have to call her Mrs. Tong. Oh, dear. Bourgeois, four bathrooms, indoor pool, several sunken TV pits, rumpus room, the works. Most surprising is the age of the people. There are rooms full of middle-aged and even old persons. The best-looking man in the room is pouring the drinks, Julia and I had promised ourselves to stay sober, but I can't handle reality. After several bourbons, the man pouring the drinks remembers that he went out with me the night he met his wife. This reduces him to maudlin tears. After that, it's all a Celtic blur. There's a woman who still wears her hair in a style that, well, it doesn't look like a hat, like the rest of us. She once stole a man I don't remember really wanting, but I didn't want him stolen. I ask her if she remembers what a wicked Femme fatale she was, and so promiscuous, and her father a clergyman and all. She's had a lot to drink, and she tells me that that was only because she was impotent as a young woman and had no orgasms until she was 37, none, not even of any kind. She says... I've done better because I have a space between my teeth, and that means I'm sensual. It's a rumor that got started in Johannesburg. About the teeth, not about me. She asks me about the dates of my first orgasms. I tell her I can't remember, and she thinks I'm showing off. I tell her, I remember stopping off at a gas station on the way home from school when I was ten. Ooh, what a shame, she says. Not shame. It's not the issue I explain. Privacy, privacy, she cries a little. Ah, she says her daughter is a poet like me, and no one loves her daughter because she has a size 38D cup. She means that other girls don't love her daughter, which is just as well, I think. Julia is as tight as I am. She's deep in conversation with a woman who is saying 
that if their friendship is to be revived, it will have to be on the basis of mutual respect this time. Anyone who knows my friend Julia knows she suffers from terminal superiority. It's her animus for the Jungians. Anyone who truly loves Julia must put up with it. She knows what's right. She's consumed with conviction. I launch a drunken defense. Julia looks as if she might throw me in the pool. I tell her my threshold for insult is too high for her. She announces it is time to get what's-her-face me home. She drags me out, trailing my feathers, both of us dead drunk. We talk on the same bumbly, booze, brainless wavelength. Great friendship in our hearts, of course. While she rages about the tongs, about the middle classes, she seethes With socialism and red righteousness, I try to contribute Marx-wise. Then she tells me what a fool I am to love men who don't give me money. I ask her how old she was when she had her first orgasm, and (laughs) she takes me to the pop hut and orders coffee. In the morning, I discover I've lost my little black notebook. It's in one of the Tong's bathrooms. I call, and Mrs. Tong is Kim. And the notebook is in her desk, and she says nothing. Oh, perhaps she didn't read it. All during the evening... I'd kept hiding in a bathroom, writing notes about the people. There was the chunky set in the living room, sitting in a circle around the food. I dipped in and out of the room to throw a fish into the conversation, get back the bait, a red-faced, bellicose male barked at me. Are you some kind of feminist? Isn't everyone, I asked. You must have known my wife, he hollered. I might have known his wife once, before the flood. I might even have known Kim, or the woman without any orgasms, or the man who met his wife. But it's too long ago now, and those people died. Oh, never, I assure you. Never in the biblical sense I kissed the red-faced man. He grinned and kissed me back. November 1975. For whom the bell tolls, well, Mother Franco's dead today. Ding-dong, the old man's dead. 20 November, 1975. Ah, 
You should have died heretofore, about 40 years heretofore, mother died so long ago. Franco outlived her 30 years. He was not one of her favorite people. Uh, she was a parlor pink, a watered-down red. Picasso's Guernica hung in our pink parlor, Hemingway's hat in the hall, or his muddy boots or something. I was given crib notes on the Civil War in Spain. Of course, I don't really remember. I thought the axes were axes. I hadn't learned to read. Francisco Franco was a fascist. Ah. Mother, you know what you name it. I knew. Mother wished him dead. I heard about the blood boot and the people's war we were for the people of course she read all about it she talked to all the other women they said the same they knew about feudal they knew about fascist it's too late to matter but he's dead now at last I'll play Ophelia and Lady Macbeth for you, mother. <laughs> he's dead and gone, lady, he's dead and gone. Pray you, Mark, who would have thought the old man to have had so much blood in him? <laughs> 